Hi everyone, welcome to the OA Special Focus 100 Pounder Meeting. Today is Wednesday the 5th of October 2022 and we are absolutely delighted to have our speaker Matt JF with us today. Matt grew up in New Jersey outside Philadelphia and presently lives in Louisville, Kentucky. Matt has been abstinent since February 25th, 2019, and we can't wait to hear your experience, strength and hope. Matt, so away you go. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you very much, and thank you for the opportunity to be of service today. Um, I want to apologize for uh, not joining a little bit early. I got caught up on a professional call and just couldn't escape until I escaped. Um, I'm just going to start with a quick prayer. God, as ever, I'm grateful for the opportunity to pause in my day and do my best to be of service by carrying the message of this program and of my recovery. And I pray that you will guide my words to be what at least one person needs to hear today to enable them to better align with your will for them. Amen. Um, so, uh, this will be a fairly prosaic, um, what it was like, what happened, what it's like now, I think, uh, I'll, I'll qualify as quickly as I can, because I, I feel like it's not sort of the most interesting part, um, of my story. Uh, and I just want to emphasize, I may stray into speaking about we or us or you or everyone, but I really do try and keep my experience, strength, and hope to be my experience, strength, and hope, and speak from that first-person point of view. Um, so, I because I don't know what's true for anyone else. What I know is true for me is that um, I I believe that I was born a compulsive overeater, the same way as I was born with brown eyes. Um, the difference between those two things is that I spent I have spent no part of my life denying the fact that I have brown eyes. I spent the first nearly half century of my life, I wouldn't even say I denied that I was a compulsive overeater as much as I just didn't understand what that meant. Because once I did understand what it meant, I knew that there was no way I could deny that I was that thing any more than I could deny that I had brown eyes. Um, so I, I, was, I was a fat kid, and then I was a, an obese young adult. Um, my I'm five foot eight. I don't know what that is in any other measurement system off the top of my head, um, but about a little less than average male height. Um, my top weight was 380 pounds. Uh, and again, I don't know what that is in any other system, but it was a lot. Um, it, was, it was dangerously a lot. Um, that weight I reached in uh, 2003 when I had Ruin Y gastric bypass surgery. Um, my weight eventually stabilized at about, it sort of stayed in the range of 250 to 270 pounds uh, until 2019. Uh, this morning, I probably weighed you know, anywhere from 220 to 225. Um, and that, and when I entered the program in February of 2019, I weighed, you know, 265 or so pounds. Um, so I definitely qualify. Um, when I had the gastric bypass, I lost, you know, I maintained about 110 pound weight loss, give or take, um, for a long time. So I was fortunate uh, because a lot of people don't. But I was still 
like the rest of what it was like was terrible. I, I was still miserable. I was still um, filled with this constant, mostly gnawing, sometimes savaging notion that I that I sucked, that I was a failure, that I um, like I you know I was smart, I was a good problem solver, and like this just didn't seem like a complicated problem, right? Calories in, calories out. It's simple addition and subtraction. Like how hard could this be? And yet I was completely unable to do anything over any kind of sustained period to, you know, lose weight, manage my weight, anything like that. Um, so I'll just say, since it's a common question that I get from people who are contemplating having gastric surgery, is it a good idea? Do I regret it? I do not regret it. Um, I don't know if it was a good idea. I don't have any idea if it's a good idea for anyone else. Um, and, and how could I? Because I don't even know if it was a good idea for me. What I do know is that it's what happened. And I'm okay with that. Um, and so if it's if it's going to, if it will shortly or someday be what happened for you, the only experience, strength, and hope I can offer is to be okay with that too, because those choices aren't available anymore. Um, so that's that's sort of that's a little bit of of qualification, a little bit of what it was like. Um, I just I carried that that belief with me every day. That, that there was just this sort of pervasive, mostly low level sense that I just sucked, that I was just a I was a worthless piece of crap. Except I used much worse words in my head. Um, And it, so it was just like every day on some level, it was like a problem that was there that I simply couldn't solve. And it seemed like evidence of my lack of worth. And um, yeah, I didn't enjoy it. Um, so, you know, cut to February 23rd of 2019. Um, I'm going to digress a little bit here just to give you a little bit of context. So these were things that were true on February 23rd of 2019. I worked at a at a foundation at a public at a private charity where I oversaw problems that supported or programs that supported entrepreneurs. As part of that experience, I had had the thought at one point. I had, I had, I was in a I was nearly three years into what wound up being a three year relationship with someone who was recovered in the beverage program, and I had a lot of friends who were recovered in the beverage program. And I I was a big believer in the beverage program. And one day I had the thought, hey, you know entrepreneurs are sort of like alcoholics, except that like the thing they need to do to recover is not stop. So could there be like a self-organizing rubric-based fellowship for entrepreneurs like, I, like AA for alcoholics? And so I had gone to my girlfriend at the time and said, you know, hey, I have this idea. What do you think? And she said, I think it's great. Uh, and I said, cool, what should I do now? And she said, you should read the big book. Now, I had encountered the big book in her home many times, and I had a couple of impressions. One of them was, uh, like I had picked it up and leafed through it. Um, so I, I liked that there was a chapter entitled We Agnostics because I was one. Um, I didn't like that it was the most written in 1939 book I think I have ever encountered. Like there was also a chapter entitled Two Wives. And I was like, uh, but, but my my third and, and main impression was it is very aptly named. It is a big freaking book. So I was like, 
yeah, I don't really want to read the big book. Is there anything else I could do? And she said, you just watch a big book step study on YouTube. There's a ton of them. They're free. And I said, cool. What will that take like an hour, hour and a half? And she said, well, like six hours. Okay. So listen to a big book step study went on a list of things that I had that was things to listen to when I have time. So that same girlfriend and I had spoken about Overeaters Anonymous exactly once. We talked about AA a lot. We talked about OA exactly once. She asked me what I thought of it. And I said, I think it's BS, except I didn't say BS. And she said, oh, that's interesting. I, I do too. Why do you think it? And I said, because I know that step one is we admitted we were powerless over food and our lives have become unmanageable. And I'm sorry, but go F yourself, except I didn't say F. That's not me. I am not anorexic. I am not bulimic. I do not weigh 900 pounds. I can fit through doorways and I'm not going to binge until I literally burst something. That's just not me. Misunderstood the assignment. So um, that was what I carried into that date, February 23rd of 2019. Devout agnosticism, a complete disdain for Overeaters Anonymous, a complete rejection of the notion that I might be a compulsive overeater, and a very self-serving, selfish desire to create something really cool for entrepreneurs that was mostly about my ego. So on February 23rd, I was supposed to fly home from one place in the United States to another, and all the flights were canceled because of high winds in, in the middle part of the country, and I started a 17-hour drive in a rental car, and, uh, and I went to my list of things to listen to when I have time, and uh, right there at the top was big book step study. And I thought, perfect, perfect chance. So I probably like stopped and picked up a giant Coke at McDonald's and like some snacks and then settled in to, you know, this long drive and, uh, and went to YouTube and typed big book step study, just those four words, big book step study. What happened next, I knew exactly why, because I work in digital marketing and I know exactly who owns YouTube and that's Google. And I know how Google works, which is Google takes everything it knows about you based on all the things you use it for. And I use it for everything and does its best to be helpful when you search for things. So when YouTube said, hey, Google, Matt is looking for a big book step study. What do you recommend? Google said, I know that fat bastard. Here, give him this Overeaters Anonymous big book step study in the number one search result position, not even like fourth, right? Right at the top. So my first thought was, uh, honestly, it was like, you're a dick, Google. That was not what I asked for. My second thought was, um, I'm not gonna listen to that. I think it's crazy BS. My third thought was, I should listen to that. I'm already in the tank for AA, so to speak. And if I can listen to this craziness and sort of understand it for those people, then you know, maybe my idea for entrepreneurs is a good idea. So I started listening. It was Laurie C's uh, Big Book Step Study. It's still on YouTube. I highly recommend it. It is just audio. It does not include any video. Um, and he was qualifying. And I, I honestly didn't identify with any of his qualification to speak of. Um, in fact, one of the qualification stories he told was so disgusting to me that I remember thinking like, I'm gonna to need to turn this off. I'm gonna puke all over this rental car. And then he said, for me, there are some foods that once I start, I can't stop and I can't stop from starting. And without 
I don't even remember like pausing to wonder if that was true for me. My brain very helpfully supplied a list of like six foods that that was absolutely true for me for. Coca-Cola, donuts, really good bagels, pasta, um, you know, the corner, corner brownies from the pan, like all these things, right? And I remember being like, wait, what? And in the moment, like, even as I didn't want that to be true, there was simply no way I could deny that if the, like, Coca-Cola was a food that once I started, I couldn't stop and I couldn't stop from starting. I had tried to quit it dozens of times over the years. My success, mostly without any success, when I had succeeded for any length of time, the length of time ranged from like, maybe six months at the high end once or twice down to literally like 20 seconds. You know, literally the time it takes to go like, I'm quitting Coca-Cola. And then look at the Coke in front of me and be like, after this one. So I, I just, I, I just, I couldn't deny it any more than I could deny that I had brown eyes. Like, um, so that was the moment when I identified in. Um, and in hindsight, like it, it, it was always a little bit of a mystery to me why what happened next happened next, because what happened next was instead of freaking out and being like, I can't handle this and turning it off, I just decided, okay, let's just see what happens. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to this and see what happens. I'm going to listen to the rest of what he has to say. And then as I listened, I remember just thinking like, let's just do this and see what happens. Now, weirdly at this time in my life, I was not in a in a time in a mode where I was, you know, quote, like trying to lose weight. That was just not part of the thing that I was that I was working on in my life at that time, which is very unusual. I think in hindsight, why I so readily just was willing to like follow the instructions was because when I was confronted with the simple undeniable fact that I absolutely was a compulsive overeater by that definition. And once for me, there are some foods that once I start, I can't stop and I can't stop from starting. There are other foods that I like just fine. And sometimes I will eat them until I'm uncomfortably full, but sometimes I don't. And I like, I have no problem saying, you know, no, I don't want that. Or I don't want any more of it ever. Those aren't, those aren't my alcoholic foods. Those are foods that I like. But Coca-Cola, donuts, other things just aren't like that. In hindsight, I think, oh, so, so let me just finish the story of what happened. So that was a Saturday. So I start listening to the Big Book Steps today. I have this incredible realization, like, oh my God, I've, been, I've gotten this all wrong. Sunday, I finished the drive and the step study. Sunday night when I got home, I just made a list of all of the foods I could think of that once I started, I couldn't stop and I couldn't stop from starting. So this is all in hindsight, kind of a miracle to me that any of this happened. Then there was like the even bigger miracle of Monday morning. I just woke up as a person who didn't eat those foods, period, ever. I, I just, I just didn't. I'm not saying that I never like wanted them or craved them, but for some reason, I was so clear that I wanted to follow the instructions and clearly this was required that it wasn't even a question. I just, I wasn't doing it. But possibly the biggest miracle of all was 
not only that I you know, woke up abstinent Monday morning and was still abstinent Thursday evening, but on Thursday evening on a cold night in Kansas City, Missouri, I left my comfy, cozy luxury apartment in Kansas City and drove halfway across town to a part of town I'd never been in and parked outside a church. I don't go to church and went into the basement of the church and entered a room full of fat strangers and then sat there for an hour. I am not a joiner. I am not like, that is not a thing I do ever. And I actually think that might be the biggest miracle of all, like that I actually did that and then kept going to meetings. Um, so that's that's kind of what happened. I think in hindsight, the reason why what happened happened was um, I wanted what I heard in his voice. I couldn't see him. I didn't, there were no before and after pictures. I heard in Laurie's voice a degree of grace and equanimity and serenity that I had never uh, known was possible for someone like me. And that's what I wanted. I just wanted that, like for five minutes. And it is absolutely a like a an absolute miracle to me. You know, me, the devout agnostic, that um, that I've had the amount of that serenity that I've had in the last three years. Um, For those who haven't listened or, or aren't familiar with Laurie C, and I highly recommend listening to his step study. Um, he's a he's an atheist, not even agnostic. His higher power is, um, I think it's like tr truth, love, beauty, and something I can't remember. When I came in, I didn't have a conception of a higher power, um, and I, I hear a lot from sponsees that that's something that they get a little bit stuck on is that they don't know what their conception of their higher power is. And um, I didn't have one either. Like I, I sort of had, I was like pretty sure that there was something out there, but I didn't have any idea what it was, but I was, however sure I was there was something out there, I was much more sure that if there was something out there, it didn't have anything to do with me. It was like, it was a like creative force behind the big bang and, you know, supernovas and things like that it didn't wasn't like about why I couldn't stop eating donuts like it was not that and I remember just trusting that um well it, I, I'm struck today by the fact that that step three says made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of a higher power as we understood him it didn't, it, that step does not say made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of a higher power that we understand. And like whatever I understood to be true about it would just be sufficient. And that's just sort of how I approached working the steps. I just didn't worry about it. I just, I just trusted that like when, it, when the time came for me to need to know what my higher power was going to be, I would know. And then, like, was astonished when that turned out to be true, but it did. 
it wasn't long before I settled on a conception of a higher power, um, which I mentioned mainly because like, it is a faith that just works for me, which is why when I landed here, I stopped. I just I took it straight from we agnostics. There's a line that says, we finally had to accept the proposition that either God is nothing or else he is everything. And I just chose everything. God is everything, period, everything. But that like every atom, every molecule, every star, every flower, and every person, and that includes me. And the reason that's a faith that works for me is that Like that, to me, what that one of the implications of that is, if God is everything and I'm part of that in some like unmeasurably infinitesimally small way, then that means that everything that's ever happened in the universe, let alone in my life, is exactly what was supposed to happen. It doesn't, I don't mean like I think there's a plan. I don't think there's a plan. Plans are for birthday parties and assembling jet aircraft. They're not for like the universe. But I just kind of feel like it was all already true when the universe began and some of it just hasn't happened yet. And it was all already true when I was born and some of my life just hasn't happened yet. And like, and and I don't know that that's true and I can't prove it certainly. What I do know is that when I managed to connect to that faith, um, it just enables me to accept my own feelings about my own, about the stories I tell myself to explain the world much faster. Um, and, and that's, and that's sort of what it's like today. What it's yeah. like today is like trying my best to discern what I'm supposed to do in any given moment and then doing it. It is a source of endless irritation to me. <laughs> that that is rarely the thing that I would most prefer to do in any given moment. Um, in fact, the, the most consistently accurate signifier of the thing that I'm supposed to do is like, I don't want to do is the thing that like objectively is probably a pretty good idea and that I least want to do. And I don't succeed in choosing it very much at all, but I succeed a little bit more often over time, the more that I reconnect to that faith that, you know, God is everything and it's all working the way it's supposed to. And when I just take a second, like, what's my rush? When I just take a second and ask the question, I might get the answer wrong or I, I might inaccurately assess what the available answers are, or I might choose like the objectively not best answer, but asking the question is way better than not asking it. You have eight minutes left. Thank you. Um, and that's that's kind of what it's like now. What it's like now is um, I never know some, well, I, let me rephrase. I often feel like I know what I'm doing and what's supposed to, like what's happening and what's supposed to be happening next. I am rarely I'm never 100% right, and I am rarely even significantly right. And that goes for my job, it goes for my life, it goes for my recovery, it goes for my living situation, it goes for my relationships. And, um, and Lord knows it goes for my feelings about how I perceive other people's choices and the stories I tell myself about those choices. 
you know, one of the things that I had to finally admit was true is this. I mean, I, I lived filled with resentment a lot of the time. And I, I live more filled with feeling today than I used to and less filled with resentment because what I've grown to understand about myself is, you know, there are 86,400 seconds in every single day. And of those 86,400 seconds every day, I spend 86,400 of them in here and zero of them in anyone else's head or heart. That's just true. It's also true that I barely know why the hell I do what I do most of the time. So what makes me think I can explain the choices that other people make? When A, I don't even really know what they're choosing. All I know is what I see. Now, that doesn't stop me from being judgmental. It doesn't stop me from having resentments. or It, it doesn't stop me from being judgmental. It doesn't stop me from having like reactionary feelings to the stories that I tell myself. And it doesn't stop me from telling the stories. What it does stop me from doing sometimes is, is feeling bad about the feelings that I have. You know, I, I talk about the physical allergy and the mental twist, and I have both for sure. And for those who aren't familiar, the physical allergy, so imagine you have a deadly peanut allergy. The physical allergy is if you have one peanut, you can't stop. You are going to have all of them, even, you, even though you know they're going to kill you, which wouldn't be a problem if when you saw a peanut, you didn't eat it. But every time you see a peanut, you can't help yourself. You have one, and then you have all of them, and then you die. I have both of those with a lot of foods. The other thing that I had is an emotional intolerance. I was unable to handle any level of emotional discomfort. And the way that I perceive the, the, like what has happened in my life as a result of working the steps out of the big book, which is something that I and did, um, I sort of skipped over that part, but I worked the steps out of the, big, out of the big book with a sponsor, a recovered sponsor who worked the steps out of the big book. And then I, did, I do my best to live in 10, 11, and 12. That took about, I came into the program the end of February 2019, I sort of sat at the foot of step four for about three or four months, found a big book sponsor and worked the steps and, and you know, finished in, I think, October, November of 2019. Um, the, the point of, of all of that for me is that it enlarges, in, there, there are people who talk about you know, needing to um, something and enlarge our spiritual life. I think of it as I need to enlarge the space within me that I use to hold all the feelings. Because when I started, it was a very small space. It had a very tiny table and a single little stool. And every time a feeling would show up, they would just kick my ass right out of the, right off of the stool and into the dirt and they'd get my seat. The point of working the steps for me and doing my best to live in 10, 11, and 12 and you know, my, my practices wax and wane. Like there have been times when I have prayed every single day for a long time. And there have been times when I barely remember to pray even a little once a day. And by even a little, I mean, I might pause and say, thy will not mine be done. I just don't worry about that. Because like the point of all of that is to create and is, is to enlarge and maintain the spiritual space to hold a bigger table with more chairs so that when the feelings show up, because they do all the time, it's okay. There's more than one chair. They don't get my seat. 
Like I'm very clear about, like one thing I'm sure about is that my higher power would never choose for me to voluntarily give up my seat to anything. Because if I'm not in my seat, I can't be at the table. And if I'm not at the table, I can't make choices aligned with what my higher power would have me do. So that's that's my practice today. It is a very inefficient, very erratic, but generally pointed toward deepening and enlarging my spiritual life and my connection with that higher power. And it is, uh, you know, I'm not someone who uses, I grew up, by the way, with no religion at all. In fact, I think my Facebook profile says born Jewish, raised by wolves. Um, I had no religious training. I'd never been to church. I don't, you know, I didn't pray. Um, and uh, I'm not someone who uses words like blessings or grace or miracle um, often or lightly, but I do feel incredibly blessed to have been against all odds drawn into this program and through it and um, and to have walked the path I've walked. Um, thank you. I, in, I feel like this has been a little all over the place, so I, and I do want to remember that one of the main points of carrying the message is to um, is to try and be helpful to newcomers. And I know that some of what I've said probably sounds like craziness from a crazy person, but I do want to say a couple of things that are that are specifically for anyone who might be new. Number one, if I could give one piece of advice to anyone starting out, it would be this. Don't worry. You can't do this wrong. I tell every new sponsee I work with, like for me, what I believe, like, it's either true or not true. Like it's it's not about good or bad. It's not about success or failure. It's just either true or not true that I want to recover. It's either true or not true that I'm absent. It's either true or not true that I have done my best and do my best to work the steps out of the big book. And it's either true or not true that I do my best to live in 10, 11, and 12 every day. And if any of those things stop being true, and and therefore, like by definition, I'm not recovered, okay. That was supposed to happen too. And I don't get to choose what's supposed to happen. I only get to choose what's in front of me. And sometimes I don't make the best choice in hindsight, but those choices aren't available anymore. So if you're new and you're wondering about your absence or you can't stay abstinent or you don't know what your conception of your higher power is and you're worried about the fourth step or like it, just it's okay to be worried. Just don't take it very seriously. Like worry will only stop you from working the steps if that's the choice that you make. The second thing I want to say is, um, I also believe that it was true for me that um, in order to, to work the steps and recover, some things had to be, like the answer to all these questions had to be yes. Did I qualify? Yes. Um, was I ready, willing, and able to do the work? Ready meaning like, yeah, nothing was going to hold me back. Willing meant like, yeah, I, I, I would put in the effort and take the actions. Able meant, I, I couldn't have been, like, I, I, everything could have happened exactly the same, but if it had happened a few years earlier when I was in the first part of my divorce process, this never would have happened. So I couldn't have been blocked by any outside issue. But the fifth thing, like, has nothing to do with me. It just had to be time. If it's not, like, and that's up to my higher power, God, whatever you want to think of your higher power as, you know, your higher power can be a deity or not be a deity, like, it just has to be a power greater than yourself to enable 
you to return to sanity. That's all. That's all it says in the steps. It does not need to be a deity or a religious figure. Um, and if and if all of those things are true, then I never would have been able to work the steps and recover. And that's okay too, because the last one's up to God. It's not up to me. So if you're new and you're struggling, just don't worry about it. When it's time, you'll get it, this life or the next. And with that, I will pass. Thank you for the opportunity to speak today. Thank you so much, Matt. I hope you can see all the hands and clapping that's going on there. That was just such a beautiful, honest, uh, inspiring message of recovery. Thank you so